Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I'm Tobias, and I'm back with Yusip Roine. What's up? Hey, Toby. So top of mind for me, I've been investing in gym gear lately. So I think I mentioned this perhaps two times. I try not to mention this too often. Uh, I started going to the gym late 2019 with a bit of a more planning in, in, in my mind. So instead of just going to the gym, doing something and hoping that it actually does something for me, I hired a personal trainer and we meet once a week and then I do my own exercise on top of that a couple of times a week. So the first investment I did just, just recently is uh, the wrist supports. So you, you have these things you put on your wrists, especially when you do something with heavy weights, it, it gives you a bit of ad additional support. It doesn't help in actually lifting anything, but it helps prevent injuries. So then I got a belt. So that's the sort of belt you can imagine, the, the, the big wide belts that you wear. And I wasn't really sure why I would need one, but turns out you really, really need one when you go for a bit heavier weights. One of these WWF uh, wrestlers, right? Yeah, I do need the pants though, the, the striped pants as well. And, and for me, when I say heavier weights, it, it means more than what my own personal weight is. So I'm about 95 kilos myself. I have no idea what that is in pounds. I think about 200. Uh, so when I go beyond that, then I start needing the belt and the wrist supports. And now I got the gym, uh, the gym shoes as well. But the problem with the shoes is that when you want shoe size 46, I think in the US that's about size 11 and a half or 12. It isn't something you go to the store and just pick them up. They go like, oh, you want that size? We have to order those from the factory. And, and I finally got those as well. So now when I go to the gym, I have this backpack full of stuff that I need to unload, then put on whenever I need them and drag them around with me in the gym. And then I need to pack everything back up. Basically, it's a workout to get to and start your workout. Exactly. And they weren't particularly expensive, but they're so special that you cannot just go to any sports store. You have to actually have to find this specialty store that, that sells the good stuff. So that's been a learning experience for me, but it also, since I like gadgets, so it also makes it fun to go to the gym because you get to use all, all sorts of different things now. All right. How about for you? So for me, I've been a lot, I'm, I'm, finalizing my last days of vacation at the moment and I'm kind of digesting everything I've done. Um, one of my favorite parts have been building rocket stoves in the woods. So we went camping with the entire family. So not one of these solo hikes where I sleep in below Celsius, uh, you know, un under the stars, but uh, with the entire family, we went some uh, into the woods doing some, some camping and basic survival stuff or go cooking in the woods, finding stuff that we can eat and, uh, in order to cook that, I built a rocket stove out of wood. So essentially you build or take a big piece of wood, you drill two holes into it, and I will put a link in the, in the descriptions if anyone is interested in that. And 
in the woods, you can just like that make a stove. And I had some cast iron and different pans with me so I could actually cook real food uh, for the family outdoors, which was pretty, pretty nice. Obviously, we, we live in a, a pretty nice uh, part of the world in, in Sweden where we have a lot of woods and a lot of nature that we can go out and have a good time. Um, so this has been a lot what we've been doing over the vacation, a lot of outdoor time with the family. So it's a, a staycation. We avoid too many social interactions with other people. So going out into nature has been a, a great thing. And the other thing is I picked up my cycling again, um, and this goes a bit on and off, but related to that, I do all my cycling measurements with a Garmin Edge H10, which is one of those devices you put on the steering wheel and you can see uh, how fast you're going, what pace and the cadence and, and everything. Um, but recently it has a lot of issues connecting to and syncing data back to the account. And I don't know if this is, has anything to do with the recent Garmin data, data breaches and ransomware attacks and whatever they had. But this device is, I guess, almost 10 years old. So now I guess it's, it's time to find a replacement anyway. So that's, that's my next goal for getting new equipment or devices. I don't get a lot of stuff and I don't buy a lot of stuff. But when it comes to working out and, and, and the road biking, I think it's extremely important to have, at least for myself, this device so I can see how fast I'm going, what pace I'm keeping, what distance I've gone, because this way I can, uh, number one, I can gamify my exercising so I know what to beat, how, how well did I do the last time or the last three times, and can I beat that? But also to keep track of, if I know I'm gonna go 100 kilometers, I need to keep track of the pace so I don't overdo it, because then at kilometer, 65 I might be out of endurance and I have to take a stop So that's my next goal finding a nice device put on the steering wheel to help me with my biking exercises Alrighty, uh, I think I have the same Garmin Edge a 10 and it's about 10 years old and it has the mini USB not the micro USB yeah. or USB-C and I've been looking at a replacement and I think Garmin came out with the uh, then 30 this year in 2020, but that has a micro USB, not USB-C. So mm. that's a sort of a showstopper for me to replace <laughs> it with that one. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a lot of cables in, in both micro USB and, and mini USB and USB-C and whatever, and all, all different formats. So I guess that's, for me, that's okay. But in the end, I just want it to sync. When I'm done exercising, I just want to see my data. That's it. Yep. I don't have a lot of requirements for cool features or nice graphs or color or whatever. Mine, mine is monochrome, so it's black and white and that's okay. But I just want to see my data when I'm done so I can kind of compare how I did today versus the last time. Exactly. Uh, Hopefully that, this, that works. This reminds me, we probably need to do one episode just about gadgets at some point that has yeah. nothing to do with Azure because I think we can find plenty to discuss there well, as well. We can find angles to get that data into Azure somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, so today's episode is about migrating with Azure Migrates. And I think I got the inspiration to talk about Azure Migrates. Uh, about three, four months ago, I had a need to migrate a couple of local virtual machines I run at home. I had a need to migrate those to Azure as VMs as well. So a sort of one-to-one -one migration. 
But at the time, so I think this was in April, March, uh, I couldn't do it because at home I was only running a Windows 10 Pro with Hyper-V, not Windows Server with Hyper-V. So Azure Migrate, that's one of the requirements. You have to have a real server to migrate off from to Azure. And just recently, I completed my, my upgrade at home so that now I have a Windows Server 2019 running Hyper-V with those same VMs locally. And I was capable of running through the whole Azure Migrate exercise end to end. So probably this episode is also about those experiences I had when I did the migration. So Azure Migrate, it's a tool, right? So it's a tool and an assessment platform or an assessment or readiness kind of measurement um, helper. So what can I migrate? So we talk about migrating workloads or data, or is it a combination? Or if I have a bunch of things on-prem, what can I throw into Azure Migrate could, to get that into the cloud? So a regular service in Azure would typically be a service or a tool. So you would provision that service through Azure Marketplace by clicking the plus icon. Then you search for the tool, you create the tool, and then you have this instance of a service of a tool in your subscription. But Azure Migrate is more of a dashboard that gives you links to different tools and scripts and preparation guidance. And it holds your hand, so in that sense, it's an assessment that, that is completed through a set of tools. And that's all branded as Azure Migrate. So Azure Migrate is not just one service, it's a collection of tools and services and assessments. And what you can migrate is uh, Hyper-V and VMware-based VMs, and also, of course, physical servers and AWS VMs. And on top of VMs, you can also migrate databases. So that would typically be SQL Server databases and web applications and virtual desktops and data. So data in this sense mostly means databases or some custom data you might have as part of your VMs. Right. And, and that's, I guess, for a lot of people uh, that I used to work with when I was a consultant, a lot of the workloads we had on-prem uh, when we discussed going to the cloud, um, regardless what kind of platform we were working on, it's databases is very common in web apps or different types of uh, web-based applications, whether that's APIs or actual web uh, apps with a UI or, or just backends for mobile applications. A lot of these were web apps or web workloads and data workloads. So I guess this is still true then, that a lot of the things we need to migrate or that organizations today want to migrate to the cloud is still the same kind of workloads, databases, web apps, related stuff, virtual machines. Exactly. And the funny thing, the sort of revelation I got from my short and, and relatively simple migration experience is that when you migrate VMs, those are often just boxes that you lift and shift to the cloud. Those VMs might have a lot of custom stuff in there and you have to make sure that they run in the cloud the same way they used to run in in your previous environment but when you migrate web apps or databases those seem relatively simple at the same time 
but they also will have a bunch of custom things in there. But if you have a SQL server locally with a bunch of databases, those databases are typically quite contained. So you can lift one database, uh, migrate that to the cloud, test it out, and then deprovision that singular database from your on-premises. As opposed to VMs, if you stop a VM locally and have it in the cloud, and if something fails, it might be quite problematic to go back and have it run locally anymore. So what can I do? Like you went through the exercise of actually migrating some of your stuff over. So what does the process look like? So from, from your perspective, what are the steps you moved a VM or something like that? What, yeah. what do I need to do to do that? Because I guess if you're looking to move one workload or a thousand workloads or a thousand machines, it's the same kind of process that you need to do. So what does that look like? So when you migrate something simple, I wanted to migrate one Hyper-V based virtual machine running Windows Server 2019 with some local services, nothing too critical, nothing too special. And since it's hosted on a Windows Server 2019 and the VM itself is 2019, I already knew that I shouldn't have any supportability issues in the cloud. So if you have thousands of VMs, then of course, majority of the time in your project will be about assessing and planning and testing. When you only have one VM, the majority of the things is clicking through the tool and waiting for the bits to upload to the cloud. And then testing is relatively easy. So what you need to do, you first need to assess. So you assess everything you have locally, and based on those assessments, you can then replicate your VMs to the cloud. And this is, this is crucial here. Replication is not the same as migration. So replication picks up your, your VM, uh, instantiates and pr uh, provisions that in the cloud, but you will still have the local VM running as is. And when you're finally ready to actually migrate, you will shut down the local VM and the replicated copy will be updated with the latest bits from your local on-prem VM. And then your VM can run in the cloud. So it's preparation, assessing, replicating, and finally migrating. All right. And I, I like this idea because when you replicate the, the environment and not just move it over, uh, it means if something does not work, you still have, have the old VM up and running and you can just basically switch back to that and, and continue daily operations until you figure out what's wrong. Um, I guess it's kind of like staging slots or different slots in a web app where you deploy to production and then you deploy to new updates to uh, a slot and then you can verify if that slot works and then just switch it over. And when it works, you can kill the, the other one if you want. Yes. And one of the things that if you're reading about Azure Migrate, obviously the marketing talk in there will say, just choose a bunch of VMs, migrate to the cloud, and you're good to go. And more or less, that's, that's what it is. It's, it's, it's not overly technical, but depending on your current environment, you might have side-to-side -side VPNs, you might have different uh, VLANs locally, you might have different VNets in the cloud, different encryption schemes in between. So all of that legacy you have to consider as well as what do you need to build on the fly 
in your destination. So do you already have your virtual networks? Do you already have all of your firewalls and, and whatever else you might need for those VMs, especially if those VMs then need to reach back to your on-premises data center to, to communicate with something else that will still be left in the on-prem. So my exercise was simply about picking up one VM, uh, replicating that to the cloud, finalizing the migration, shutting down the local VM, and continuing business as is without worrying too much about the usual IT pro stuff that more or less you should be already familiar with. Yeah, that sounds cool. So it's, it's pretty much the, the same process then for small migrations and large migrations. And you get the overview. If you, if you do this discovery thing and you find all the, the stuff you have, it's the same thing if you do this for your 1,000 VMs or for your two VMs. Right. And you yes. get everything in the dashboard. So the tool is visual, visualizing this for you. And that's where we get the, the real help visualizing what you have and what potential blockers there are and, and how you can move it. Right. Yeah. And the great thing is that once you run the discovery process to see what do I have locally, you can then refresh that discovery automatically or, or, or manually, meaning that you can start on a Monday and next week you can resume whatever you still had left and refresh the discovery process to say, oh, we have five new VMs, so let's have a look at these as well. So let's spend a couple of minutes to, to sort of walk through end to end what needs to happen in there. So keep in mind that I have one physical server running Windows Server 2019, and that has one VM that I want to migrate. And what you first need to do, you go to Azure Portal, and you provision Azure Migrate. It doesn't really do anything. It simply shows you the dashboard to Azure Migrate. And once in there, you'll get the download link and the preparation for an appliance, which is a fancy word for please download a pre-packaged VM that will do the assessment for you. So that gives you, I think it was a Windows Server 2016, not, not activated one, so in, on, on trial license, you drop that in one of your Hyper-V hosts. You run it and you let it do the uh, out-of-box experience first. And once that's done, you can then access the appliances web interface to connect your local Hyper-V and the appliance to your Azure subscription. So you authenticate once. All right, so this is a prepped VM that you drop in your on-prem data center into your hypervisor or Hyper-V servers or clusters and run the, the discovery from your on-prem environment. Yes, and it automatically patches itself initially when you first run it, that took about 10 minutes. And then it scans through whatever it can find locally. So you will say, I have this, this, and this Hyper-V hosts. Uh, and one, once it completes the scan, then you can go to Azure Portal, to Azure Migrate Dashboard, and it will list all of the hosts that you have and all of the VMs that you have. And then you don't need the appliance uh, anymore, even though you have to keep it running because that's in charge of doing the replication and migration, but you do not need to access that anymore. And now that I'm in the Azure Portal, in the Azure Migrate Dashboard, I can say, I would like to assess uh, the migration of this one VM in on-prem to Azure. Uh, 
and it will ask, alrighty, so we see this sort of VM, it has four CPUs, eight gigs of RAM, and blah, blah, blah. What do you want that to be in Azure? And you can select, perhaps it would be uh, a VM from the D family of VMs, or the B, or something else. And then you can run the actual assessment, and that gives you the recommendation. What would this VM cost if you migrate it to the cloud? How much per month? How would those costs be divided between storage and, and bandwidth and whatnot? And if you're satisfied with this, then you can start the replication. And within replication, you do that through Azure Portal again. You will say, I want to replicate this VM to Azure and, and let's see how that goes. And now actual bits start flowing from your Hyper-V to Azure. And my outbound internet connectivity is 500 megabits. So I've got one gig down, 500 up. And it was doing a fairly good job utilizing about 400 megs on my outbound connectivity. Nice. And, and, and since the VM is about, what, 30, 40 gigs, it didn't take too long. And once this was done, I now had the VM in Azure, but I also had the VM still locally. And if I was now satisfied with the results, I could try out the VM. I can then say, let's replicate this. And it, it uh, updates any missing bits from the local VM and asks that should we shut down the local VM now, since obviously you're going to keep on using it in Azure. And then it automatically shuts down the VM. But the appliance stays on because you might continue with other VMs in the future. All right. So, and, and again, that kind of proves the point uh, that we've seen over the years. It's migration is very seldom a, a one-off. You don't migrate once and then everything's done because there will always be more things to move or migrate from one destination to another, whether that is on-prem to the cloud or between cloud environments. It's also very common these days to migrate from one cloud to the other, one cloud provider to the other, or from the same cloud provider between subscriptions or other um, types of migrations, um, but also for on-prem environments, like you mentioned before, the next Monday you come online, there might be a few additional VMs provisioned because someone set up a new team or someone did some new work and start a new project, whatever it is, and perhaps you have templates for every new project of this type, you will get a bunch of resources and those includes a few machines. Um, so migration is a continuous effort, but I guess this helps a lot and what I like uh, with, with seeing this tool, uh, I, I watched some videos and I uh, took a look at you. You wrote a blog post about it and I, I read up on, on it a lot. And I really like this uh, way they present the dashboards and the assessments and the readiness. Uh, it's very similar to what we've built uh, over the years um, with our products and kind of taking an assessment or, or making an assessment and providing you actionable insights is exactly what this tool does. And again, it's something that you should consider a continuous effort, even though the one, one off um, big workload in the beginning will hopefully get a lot of the, the work done. Exactly. And how I like it is that you don't need to run shady PowerShell scripts. You don't need to do this and this in exact uh, specific sequence. It's it's more about okay. Here are your options. Choose any of these. Migrate, replication, assessment, discovery, and and when you 
start doing those, uh, I got a warning on the VM that the VM was generation two in Hyper-V. So when you create a new VM in Hyper-V, it typically asks that do you want this to be gen one or gen two, depending on, on what BIOS features you'd like to use. So I always go with gen two because it's newer, so it has to be better. Uh, and Azure Migrate says, well, there's a problem because it can only support migration of gen one. And I thought that, okay, this is the end of it again, and I have to restart everything. But then it readily says, but we can fix this. So while we do the migration, we can switch the hardware profile to Gen 1. And if you anticipate any problems, then you know at least that something was changed. So there's, there's a, on the documentation, there's a long list of things that might not be supported, but that Azure Migrate is capable of fixing on the fly. And I would imagine this would be especially useful if you have 2,000 VMs and it complains about 700 of those. So instead of going manually to fix those and hoping you, you will not break anything, it will do that on the fly with the copy of the VM. I like, I like this approach very much. And on pricing. So typically when we talk about Azure services in the, this pod podcast, we typically also touch upon pricing. If your provider is Microsoft, meaning Hyper-V in this instance, then Azure Migrate doesn't cost you anything. It's free to use, the appliance is free, the migration process itself is free, but obviously you will pay for the VM and all the assets that you will provision uh, in the cloud. But if your provider is something else, let's say it's migrating from AWS or VMware, and you might want to use a third-party solution in between, so there's a, there's a bunch of those. Uh, let me name a few. Uh, there's Carbonite, Cloudamize, Device42, Rackware, Turbonomic. I'm not familiar with these because I mostly fiddle with Microsoft-based systems. So if you need any of these, then there's an extra cost possibly involved and you need to reach out to those ISVs to first utilize a license for their product that Azure Migrate will then utilize in turn. All right. So um, what I like with, with migrating data is, uh, and, and I, that I see the documentation for Azure Migrate also have uh, very well covered, and we'll provide links in the show notes about that as well, is how you build the migration plan with Azure Migrate. So like step number one could be you just discovered that, well, our workloads are Hyper-V and we realize most of what we're going to do now is free. So step number one, discover the cost. And that's great. So when you define goals for migration, you know, a migration can mean many things and be because of different reasons. It can be because you're doing a, what we call a data center exit. You don't want to use a data center anymore. You want to go cloud. And the outcome of that should be cost savings. And it might be that your company has been doing a merger acquisition or uh, something similar. And uh, it can be reduction in capitalist expenses and response to regulatory compliance changes, you know, whatever. There are so many reasons for why you might want to do a migration. And what I really like with the documentation of Azure Migrate, it kind of ties those uh, critical business events together with migration outcomes. So, if this is happening in your organization as a critical business event, the expected outcome can and or should be this, 
So you can kind of tie the business values together, not only uh, the technical, we have a VM, it needs to go over, and then you make a migration. But also, we have this business event, and the outcome should be that, whether that is cost savings or following specific regulatory compliance or data sovereignty laws or whatever it is. Uh, I really like this with the, the documentation of, of Azure Migrate as well. So take a look at that. If, if you're looking at migrating data, take a look at the uh, documentation, how to build the migration plan. A lot of these things are, are covered. So it's not just a technical migration, but there's a lot of uh, softer values also incorporated into the documentation that I really, really like. One of the things uh, we did talk in April in episode 26 was Cloud Adoption Framework or CAF. And Azure Migrate is very well documented and included as part of CAF. So in CAF, if you go to the documentation and you click on adopt, that's one of the phases in CAF, that will guide you through how you should embrace Azure Migrate. And if somebody listening on this is thinking that, well, gee, I've, I've got one VM or two VMs, should I bother with Azure Migrate or should I just shut down the VMs, copy the virtual disks to the cloud and reprovision them as new VMs but using the same disks? Sure, you can definitely do that, but that's a lot of manual work. And with Azure Migrate, it's more about uh, spinning up the appliance, clicking next, 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 and that's it. So you don't need to hop back and forth and manually copy files. All of that is taken care of, care of you for free, essentially. Right. I like that. Azure Migrate is, like I mentioned before, I haven't used it a lot, but I'm looking at it and I do have workloads running on uh, other vendors, Hyper-V environments where we have uh, managed hosting for some VMs. So this is a perfect opportunity to actually explore that, run the, uh, the tools and set up the, the replications and then verify if this works. So I will actually go through the process of migrating real workloads based on, on what I've learned uh, from you here today and reading your blog about it. Uh, I really like this. Um, one thing that I noticed also that might be worth mentioning is because I myself come from a, a developer background, I do a lot of development and, and a lot of automations. I noticed there's a REST API as well for Azure Migrate. The last update, as far as I can see on the version was in 2019, so late 2019. Uh, but it looks like there's a, uh, an API available for the assessment part, the discovery part, um, and the projects part. Um, so that's something you might want to look into if you're automating things or if you don't want to use uh, whatever comes in the UI and you, you have other perhaps a bit more compli complicated or complex processes that you want to tie into. And there is a REST API available for working with the Azure Migrate uh, APIs as well. So we'll put a link to the documentation for the API uh, in the show notes as well. And one of the things I need to try out in the future is migrating something else beyond VMs with Azure Migrate. So perhaps a SQL database, because one of the things you can do, you can pick up a bunch of databases from a local SQL server and migrate those as Azure SQL, meaning the, the platform as a service, or as hosted SQL server VMs. So you would still continue running those on a SQL server, but in a VM in Azure. Right. 
You know, so how about that? I, I have a couple of workloads that are web-based. So API endpoints and web apps that are not in Azure, they are running in a different data center, but they are managed on-prem environments, if you will. Um, I want to migrate them as well, but these are purely web-based and, and .NET-based. So I, I think in theory, I could just move them because I know exactly how they operate. I could just pretty much pick them up and put them in the cloud, but it would be fun to run it through Azure Migrate to see how it can help in the process. Because if you do that at scale, if I have five web apps, that's easy. If you have 10,000, it's not as easy. Um, so maybe that's a good exercise. You do the, the database one, I will do the web one, and then we compare notes. Sounds good. And as always, depending on what your current infrastructure is, you might have a, a bunch of firewalls, you might have very limited access, you might have legacy things in there. So even if the documentation says just click next, 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 you will probably run into different sort of challenges and issues. And what I like is that the that the tutorials on docsmicros.com on Azure Migrate, they, they do a fairly good job in trying to highlight those issues and how to troubleshoot those. So let's put a link on those to the show notes. I will also link the blog article that I created on this because there you can see the screenshots on how the whole process looks like. Yeah, I, I think my final words there is because I looked at the screenshots and what I really like is when you're doing an assessment, uh, I guess the one thing we didn't mention is uh, you will get a, a few different flags, like when you run a vulnerability assessment on your code or when you run a different type of assessment, you get some outcomes out of that. And, and the main uh, kind of flags you will get is ready for Azure, meaning you can just pretty much put it into the cloud. That's not a problem. Um, you also have conditionally ready for Azure. So you can migrate these machines to Azure, but you will need minor changes on these servers as per the remediation guidance that you will get in the assessment. Uh, one flag is not ready for Azure, uh, meaning you cannot migrate these machines to Azure as is, and you do need to fix a couple of issues uh, that you will also get help with, with the guidance before you migrate. And then readiness unknown, and Azure Migrate is not able to determine the readiness of that given machine uh, because of some insufficient metadata in the assessment. And I, th I think that for me, ticks the box what I need to know if I'm doing this at scale. If I can categorize everything like that, I pick everything that is ready for Azure and that's where I start. Get everything that's ready up into the cloud, tick that box, all right, what do we have left? And then we can kind of categorize the, the issues remaining by the lowest hanging fruit. We can fix it and we can get things up. Definitely agree on this. So all in all, it was a pleasant, uh, project to to get started with Azure Migrate and I'm sure that if you have a complex environment you might need something else beyond just Azure Migrate perhaps custom scripts but more or less the assessment and the appliance take care of, of all of the usual IT plumbing work that you would back in the day you would resort to integrating custom things now you can just click next 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 and see how it performs yeah sounds good Alrighty, I think this was all we had on Azure Migrate. Uh, as always, thanks for listening and until next time. All right, see you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt Azure podcast. 
find out more and read the show notes on controlaltasher.com. Stay tuned.